Welcome to episode 88 of Paper Talk, a series of podcast interviews featuring artists and professionals who are working in the fields of hand paper making and paper art. I'm Helen Hebert, and I run Helen Hebert Studio, a hand paper making studio in Colorado's Rocky Mountains, where I create artist books and installations. I also host the annual Redcliffe Paper Retreat and Paper Making Masterclasses here in the studio, and I run a membership program called The Paper Year and teach online classes about paper, light, and books, too. Find out more at HelenHebertStudio.com. Today, I'm talking with Nicole Magistro and Alice Fagan, the author, publisher, and illustrator of Reed Island, a children's book featuring cut paper illustrations. Nicole Magistro is a professional reader and amateur mother who lives in the mountains of Colorado. She owned the bookworm of Edwards here for 15 years, wrote thousands of book reviews, and memorized a few too many bedtime stories. Her favorite place in the world is the real Reed Island, which inspired this story. Magistro is also a mentor, journalist, consultant, and community leader. Alice Fagan is a children's book creator known for her distinct cut paper collage style in the collectors and school days around the world. Her lifelong love of storytelling and art making led her to the world of picture books, where she creates playful illustrations for children's books, magazines, apps, educational products, and games. When she is not making picture books, Alice can be found reading them with her two young sons. Enjoy our conversation. Well, Nicole Magistro and Alice Fagan, welcome to Paper Talk. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, hear a little bit more about the publishing world and children's books and illustration. So, um, Nicole, let's start with you. Tell me a little bit about your love of reading and growing up and sort of what led you to this book. Well, um, of course, like most writers, I think that it's a circuitous journey, really. Um, As a kid, I loved to read. My mom was a teacher um, and she was, you know, always having books around the house. I remember my dad reading to me at nighttime a lot. My favorites back then were you know, Little House on the Prairie and um, Winnie the Pooh and Charlotte's Web. Um, And I wasn't a great reader in part because I needed to wear glasses and we figured that out. And so I then became a better reader once I could see a little bit better and focus on the words on the page. Um, But by third grade, when our family moved is really kind of when my reading passion became a habit because um, I moved to a new place and I had no friends. I had to learn a new uh, method of living and I got to take my books with me. Um, I, so that was, you know, kind of a little bit of background about my young reading career. And of course, um, you know, as I got older, I read a lot of trashy mystery novels um, by Christopher Pike. I remember when I was in middle school and high school, R.L. Stein, um, you know, a lot of Judy Bloom. But um, then as an adult, I studied writing at Northwestern and eventually came to own an independent bookstore where I did a tremendous amount of reading. And all of that experience really informed the writing that I'm doing now. Yeah. Okay, great. And then Alice, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into children's book illustration or illustration maybe first. I don't know. Sure. Yes. Um, So I grew up in the mountains in Western North Carolina, um, a little tiny mountain town. And I, similar to Nicole, was surrounded by books from a young age. Uh, My mom was a, excuse me, public school librarian. Mm. And um, so I spent a lot of time in the library. The school bus would also drop us off in front of my 
dad's office, which was across from the public library. So I was just, I was just surrounded by books all the time. Um, and my mother um, painted when I was younger and was very interested in art. So I always, I was always making things and I was always reading. And, and so the art um, took me to uh, college at UNC Chapel Hill in North Carolina, where I studied studio art and art history. Um, and they did not have an illustration program, but I was starting to get interested in the commercial side of mm -hmm. things and, and really wanted to um, venture into that world. So I ended up going to grad school at Savannah College of Art and Design to study illustration. Um, and that's really where I developed um, the cut paper collage technique and style. I had not really explored that before graduate school. Um, so I, I jumped all into that and really kind of built a portfolio and a style around that. And um, I was building everything by hand at that point, working traditionally. Um, and so um, I started out more in the editorial world of illustration as opposed to picture books. Um, okay, let me ask a question real quick. So, yeah. um, or I'm gonna just say that I, I, um, I live in Edwards where we all are now. We all live here and um, or near Edwards, Colorado. And the bookworm, the bookstore that Nicole owned um, is in Edwards. And I knew that Nicole had published this book, Read Island. And I went into the bookstore and looked at it and I noticed your cut paper collages, Alice. So that's really why we're doing this interview. And um, yeah, I'm just wondering if you can talk a little about how you said you discovered that in college. How did you discover that style? Did you come up with it yourself? Did you see other illustrators? I, I was looking at other illustrators. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually taking a, a course about the history of illustration. And we, um, over the course of, of that art history course, we, so we had to create three different projects. And I was, we were looking at um, the work of Craig Frazier Mm -hmm. um, which a great book by him, I don't think I put it in the list, but um, is the illustrated voice. Mm. And so he started out making his work by hand, although now I think he works digitally. Um, but he was making things out of paper and is very conceptual. Um, and I was just kind of fascinated by his work and how smart it was. And so I, I kind of jumped all into that world. Um, <clears throat> and and tried to make a piece out of paper and I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but it just felt very natural and mm -hmm. uh, people responded to it well. And so I just kept exploring that. Mm -hmm. um, so I was looking at his work. I was looking at um, people like Rob Ryan, who does these really intricate um, silhouettes. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was looking at other people like Mary Blair, who did all the concept work for Disney. Um, oh. And she works in this very flat graphic style, um, which was something I was always really drawn to. Um, like American folk art, the landscapes. Um, and uh, people like Maddie Lua Kelly. Um, and so I think I just, I naturally related to that work. And so that's what, took me into the world of the collage art. And so, um, yeah. And when so I you, came out of school, I was, oh, yeah, sorry, I was ahead. making everything by hand. Uh -huh. um, and so I was doing more editorial work for magazines, um, kind of random, probably I was doing like uh, art to wrap around a food truck, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> things like that. You know, it wasn't always just for um, books or magazines. Um, and so that became kind of challenging to create large scale cut paper art mm -hmm. and to um, document it in a way that it could be reproduced. And so um, I had a lot of professors say, oh, why don't you just try to work digitally? Because things were moving that way um, a lot at the time that I was in grad school. And so I had pushed back a lot on that. I really wanted to make things by hand. But I started playing with it and um, 
So now I mostly draw by hand, but then I um, build the collage digitally and I try to mimic um, the technique, but in Photoshop, um, which affords me the ability to create pieces on a large scale. It allows mm -hmm. me to um, manipulate colors. It allows me to work with like overlays and textures that I just couldn't produce traditionally. Um, so I'm always exploring with that. And then sometimes I'm painting textures, you know, and then scanning that in to add to right. my collection of right. papers. But um, yeah, it's kind of evolved over time. Right. Okay. I want to talk a little bit more about that, but let me bring Nicole back in. And um, Nicole, tell me how you got to Colorado and how you ended up owning a bookstore. Well, um, as I mentioned, I went to uh, school for writing at Northwestern. I attended undergrad and grad school there. And um, during, right before grad school, I had reconnected um, with family friends in a, on a family vacation. And one of those family friends um, turns out today to be my husband. Um, anyway, long story short, he was from Colorado. And although he enjoyed living in Chicago, I think it was, he was like a fish out of water there. And he said back, um, you know, 2001, 2002, let's, let's go try Colorado. And I was writing full time. I was, you know, Chicago Tribune, Chicago Magazine. I was very much involved with like this urban scene, especially I was doing a lot around lifestyle, food and wine, um, mm -hmm. you know, these sorts of things. I was like, okay, well, we'll try it and see what happens. And so we came to Colorado um, to Vail and we had um, the fortunate, you know, situation of having a free place to stay for two months to kind of get our feet on the ground. Mm -hmm. And um, after that, we decided to rent our first apartment here and then eventually, you know, make it home. So we've been here for 20 years now. And um, Zach, my husband is also an entrepreneur and has his business here. We have a 10 year old son who's in fourth grade. And so this is very much home now. Um, my parents actually lived in Colorado when I was a very young child. And that's where we became family friends. So um, it's kind of full circle in a lot of ways. And it's a great place to um, be creative. You know, I think especially in our community, I mean, there certainly are challenges, as you both know. Um, but there's also a lot of um, flexibility afforded to living in a mountain community where you can create and be uh, who you want to be. And that's, you know, I started working at the bookstore when I first moved here just as a part-time job uh, to help supplement my writing um, income. And I loved it so much. I loved to be around the books. I loved to talk with people about books. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually, you know, a couple of years later, I became the owner and then I grew the store and changed it, morphed it um, and modernized it to the point at which it is today. Um, and that is, you know, a thriving independent bookstore with a cafe and a new owner who will take it to a whole nother level in the future. So it's been a great journey. Yeah. And I'm curious, um, did the sale of the bookstore to the new owner coincide with wanting to get back to writing and this children's book, Read Island? You know, I definitely wanted to get back to writing. And I had tried many methods to do both. But what I learned about myself is I'm an all in kind of person when it comes to my work and my family um, helped me learn that. But also, I just knew I couldn't get I, I couldn't do both well. And I had spent 15 years developing and growing the bookstore. And I felt like it was time to go back to those writing roots and really give it the full effort that I had given to the bookstore. So they're so related, um, but I wouldn't say it was a cause and effect. It was just a big picture kind of plan for myself. And I'm really happy to live in a community and be a customer now at this thriving independent bookstore. Yeah, cool. Okay, well, let me just, Alice, catch me up on how you ended up here in Colorado. And then we'll talk about the book you guys did together. And 
Um, just curious because you're from North Carolina, did you ever have any experiences at the Penland School or John C. Campbell Folk School, any of those craft schools out there? I've taught at some of those. Oh, have you? Um, oh, I wish I had a friend who, whose husband um, did a, a few years at Penland mm. um, and just loved it. And so I visited, but I did not actually get to attend maybe one day. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I dream of, I dream of those retreats. I have um, a two-year-old and a four-year-old right. who uh, keep me quite busy at the moment. But, um, but yeah, going back to your original question, um, I went to college in, UN, in North Carolina, grad right. school in Savannah, Georgia. And then my husband, now husband, was doing his master's in architecture at the University of Oregon. So mm-hmm. I moved out to Oregon um, which is where I started working professionally as an illustrator. And then we were down in the Bay area a while before he got a job with a firm here in Edwards. Okay. And so we picked up and moved and I had never been to the Vale Valley or to Edwards. And so, um, that was seven years ago and it Uh was really kind of a, I guess, a leap of faith from me, (laughs) but, um, we were, we were just so happy and, it's just such a wonderful place to live. Um, And so when I moved here, I had a book coming out, a nonfiction book called School Days Around the World that I illustrated Mm -hmm. um, for the publisher Kids Can Press, which is based in Toronto. And um, I approached Nicole about doing an event at the bookworm. So we met right when I moved here. Um, So that book came out and then, um, and then I was busy having kids and uh, working on a new book, The Collectors, which came out this May. And then uh, Nicole and I had just kind of casually said, oh, at some point, maybe we'll do something together. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of left it at that. And then um, she uh, approached me. I don't, when, when did you approach me about the book, the Mountain of Books piece? Nicole. You know, I think it probably, yeah, I, I, I'm thinking it was probably about 2019 or maybe mm-hmm. 2018 even. I had approached Alice about creating an original piece of art that showed the sort of joy and unification of community and nature and reading for the bookstore. Um, I thought, you know, and I had, I had more and more been getting into um, working with local artists. And I just felt like this was, you know, again, as Alice said, it was sort of in the back of our minds all the time we wanted to try to work together. So I thought, well, this is a way to do it. And we thought maybe we would you know, develop a greeting card line and other things. Of course, I wasn't brave enough to mention that I had ideas of writing Um, a book because she was a published author and I was, you know, on the sales side in the bookstore. So um, we, we did develop one piece together and it was a really great experience. And so that piece became sort of our springboard for um, the relationship, you know, which started in uh, 2011, uh, late 2020. Um, And I called her, I had sold the bookstore and I, I emailed Alice and I sort of like, remember, um, let, I have this idea. <laughs> and, and uh, I know, Alice, you were tentative to begin with. Oh, yeah, yeah. a little bit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Nicole approached me in uh, December of 2020, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, so I had finished, I had finished, no, I had not finished the art for um, the collectors. So she approached me in December and I was a little hesitant because she was jumping into the world of self-publishing. And I was saying, do you know what all of that involves? Because lots of people want to jump into that world head first, which is very brave, but it's many, many jobs, right? One person has to do. And so, um, so I was a little hesitant. First, I was also finishing the art for the collectors and um, and then COVID hit and I was home with a three month old and a two year old mm. and and I was working at night to finish that. And, um, you know, it was just a busy, 
time, but um, I'm so glad I did because, because it was such a fun project to get to work on with Nicole and it was very different than a traditional publishing experience. So typically a publisher will um, receive a manuscript and decide, you know, they, they'll accept the manuscript and decide to publish it. And then they search for an illustrator and they pair an illustrator with an author or with a manuscript and then you do not speak. So um, there's no input from the author and that's intentional on the publisher's part. Mm -hmm. um, but Nicole and I actually got to work very collaboratively on this and we had, an we had editors and we had an art director, um, which was very important to the process. But um, we did still get to work very collaboratively, collaboratively both on the story and on the art. and. Um, that really made it a unique project. So I've enjoyed doing that over this past year. Okay, you said something really interesting that the in the traditional publishing of children's books and maybe all illustrated books that the um, there's no interaction between the author and the illustrator and that that's intentional. W what is the mm -hmm. reason behind that intention? I know it could open a, a bunch of cans of worms and all of that, but... <laughs> Is there yes, another? And I'll, and I'll say that's, you know, that's, that's their traditional, that's their traditional approach. There are people who you know, sure. might be very established in that industry and work with somebody that they're very close with. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason behind it is that they do not, the, the editor does not want the author to influence the visuals that the illustrator is going to come up with. Um, right. And they, they don't want to drive that to drive the work in a certain way because the illustrator might feel an obligation um, right. to follow that vision as opposed to what the story inspired from them. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think they just find that usually it produces stronger, stronger work. Um, plus uh, you can get a manuscript with just like artist notes, just like more artist notes than there are words in the manuscript. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I think they're just trying to to keep it from from taking over, mm -hmm. you know, the, from the illustrator, from what the illustrator could do on their own. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. But I imagine um, there's a little bit of back and forth where the artist may gets a peek at the illustrations through through the art director or editor or is there, there are, really not there are different stages, you know, mm -hmm. when you'll usually not, usually not with thumbnails, but probably with the rough drawings. So you'd mm -hmm. start with the thumbnails and then the full size drawings would be your roughs. And at that stage, you're still changing quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and so an, an author might get to take a peek at that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. And then Sometimes they'll see the art, but often they will not see the art until the very end. If you mm -hmm. hear authors talking about that experience, they'll say they, they wait <laughs> with anticipation to see what that art's going to look like at the very end. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's, a, it's an interesting process. Yeah, yeah. I write how-to books and I just, I have one coming out now. So I've just gone through this process with the publisher and it's a little different because I'm making the art that's being photographed for, you know, so right. I'm involved in the whole visual side as well. Um, right. I don't necessarily have design authority or anything. So there are always parts that uh, the different experts are taking care of, but okay, cool. So Nicole, tell me about the story and how you, how you came up with it. And I think there's a real Reed Island, right? That's right. That's right. Well, and I'll say that um, as an, as the author and the creative process of creating the words and everything, I did have to wear those, you know, two hats of publisher and author. So right. I feel like sometimes I was wearing that hat of, well, what's going to sell, you know, as the publisher, what's going to make the book, you know, the package of the book, working with the art director, choosing all of that stuff those are different decisions mm -hmm. than the author would typically make. So sometimes I had to sort of have that split personality. Um, when it came to the creation of the manuscript, you know, it was really about wanting to create 
a story that celebrated the adventure that is reading. And in my mind, those adventures don't take place in bookstores and libraries, but often books about books take place in bookstores and libraries. So I wanted it to be much more representative of, of the real reading experience that books can take you anywhere. And there was an aha moment, um, you know, as I had been working on the manuscript for some time that, you know, there is a real read island. It is a place that my family has been going to for decades and it is very, very special to us. And over the decades, people have always said, cute things like, oh, isn't it nice? You go to this place called Reed Island, spelled R-E-A-D. And I was just like, that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I never saw the symbolism it, it, so clearly. And then one um, night, it was during COVID and, and uh, you know, everyone's brains were all messed up. Um, mm -hmm. My son and I had been doing a lot of meditation together, visualization and things to just sort of calm us down. His second grade teacher had given us a tool called a Zenimal. Um, and we, you know, five minute um, meditations for kids, we would do them together. And it was great for me too. Um, and it was after one of those that we had visualized our favorite place. And we'd probably done that meditation, I don't know, four dozen times or something. And I just sort of looked at him. I'd never asked him, where do you go in your mind? And he said, Reed Island. And I said, well, me too. And then that night in the middle of the night, I woke up and it was just like a light bulb. Like, like that's where we're going. We're going to this magical island made of books. Um, and it is, you know, the real Reed Island. But of course, it's not real at all. Um, there are a dozen animal characters in the book that are inspired by um, common and rare animals that live in the Pacific no Northwest, um, including spirit bear, which there are only 400 in the Great Bear Rainforest, um, sea wolf, but also more common animals like moose and elk, and then very common animals like fox and mouse. So, um, you know, I was able to kind of bring those characters um, into the story and all of the animals get together for a story time um, in the book. And through that story, they're able to sort of transport. Um, and and uh, the message of the books is that, you know, that world of stories is always there, um, mm -hmm. that it's a safe place for kids, that it can be whatever you want it to be. And you can go there every time you read. And so, um, you know, through that rhyming text, which it comes very naturally and sort of, I prefer it in uh, picture books for children. I think um, it's easy for parents to grasp onto, for teachers to read aloud, for caregivers to feel comfortable in the read aloud. Um, and it sort of hopefully through the art really creates um, more and more detail and more and more curiosity as you read it um, and, and that parents don't get tired of it again and again. So Alice can tell you a little bit about some of the collage she used to help um, incorporate some of the classic children's books and things like that. Yeah. So um, tell me where the re real Reed Island is. It's in coastal British Columbia. So about halfway up the Strait of Georgia um, in between the mainland and Vancouver Island. And um, it is an island that is only accessible by um, private boat or kayak. Um, there's no ferry service. There are no developed roads or um, power infrastructure there. And um, it's a place that is really um, impacted by uh, a lot of environmental um, decision-making, you know, from salmon fisheries and mm -hmm. logging, um, you know, natural resource exploitation, et cetera. So um, it's a very wild place and I hope that it will be able to remain that way. Mm. And I love what you said about that your son and you both go there. <laughs> Was that just during those meditations? 
Is well, that what you were talking about or is exactly. it beyond that? Yeah. You know, we, we have been taking him every year to Reed yeah. Island since he was born mm-hmm. and it's his favorite place in the whole wide world yeah. and mine too. And yeah. so when, you know, you are trying to visualize during a meditation, you're, you're imagining your favorite place, maybe mm-hmm. it's real, or maybe it's just in your imagination. And I mean, he's a little kid, you know, he might be going anywhere. He could be yeah. going space or, you right, know, right, mountain right. bike camp or whatever, but he was always going to Reed Island. And so was I. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Okay. So Alice, um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about the, oh, I wanted to ask one more thing, Nicole, the manuscript. So was that complete when you and Alice first started working together oh, or sort I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I thought that it was in okay shape, but the problem was it, it, it wasn't, <laughs> um, I had never done that before. So I worked very closely with two editors. Um, one who had worked with the manuscript, um, some before Alice saw it. And then also who worked with it after. And then I, my second editor, um, who had a vast experience in children's books as well, kind of lent a more contemporary hand versus a conceptual hand and worked a lot on perfecting the rhyme scheme and things like that. I learned so much from them. And then, so about 14 versions is how we went through um, the manuscript for 280 words. Um, And then our art director uh, also was tremendous and kind of helped us um, make sure that the, you know, the way that the art and the words interplayed, um, you know, grew the meaning and, and represented what we were really trying to do in terms of celebrating books and reading. Right. And how did you assemble this team? How did you find the editors and art director? You know, um, the editors were both folks that I had worked with in the past Mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. Um, Aunt Sandy Ferguson Fuller had um, studied with Maurice Sendak and Mm. had um, been an agent as well as an author and an illustrator. She um, now primarily edits and agents children's um, picture books. And um, boy, I've known Sandy. She's kind of like my veil mom. Um, Mm. And I've known Sandy for uh, I don't know, probably 16 years, maybe. And um, then the second editor is Bethany Strout. And she had worked at a variety of publishers, including Little Brown Books for Young Readers. I met Bethany when we were both working in independent bookstores. She at um, the Tatter Cover in Denver, and um, of course, me at Bookworm. And we kept in touch as our you know, lives changed and as things evolved and she was tremendous. And then she led us to Sasha Illingworth, our um, art director, who also works um, as an executive art director at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. And so she did a a side project with us um, to help us make the book. Um, And it's beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. Hey listeners, let's take a little break here, and I want to let you know that my new book, The Art of Papercraft, is now out in the world. The book offers a rich variety of projects that will delight crafters, artists, and designers alike, including paper votive lights, pop-up cards, folded paper gift boxes and envelopes, woven paper wall hangings, miniature one-sheet books, and much more. If you'd like an autographed copy, you can order that directly from me at HelenHebertStudio.com. And if the autograph doesn't matter to you, the book is available wherever fine books are sold. It's also available on Kindle. And by the way, my book, Paper Making with Garden Plants and Common Weeds, has also just been released on Kindle. And my other papermaking book, The Papermaker's Companion, has been available on Kindle for a couple of years. Now back to our conversation. Okay, so Alice, tell me a little bit about what the art director does and then how you came into the project. And Sure, yeah. So um, I think I came into the project just before Sasha did, right? 
a little bit before. Um, and so when Nicole says there were 17 versions of the manuscript, there could be 50 versions of a manuscript on a lot of picture books. Um, I think people often feel like picture books have so few words and they're so simple. Um, simple is the hardest, it, I think. <laughs> it's incredibly hard to tell a story well in 32 pages. Yeah. So um, Nicole did a beautiful job working through the story and figuring out what worked and what didn't work. And then um, I came along and took the manuscript. And so typically what I would do is break it down into those, so it's 32 pages, which is um, because when they print the books, that's how they print on large sheets and they cut the art down. Right. Um, so you're working in 16 spreads. Um, and so I created the thumbnails for the art and those went back through our editor and art director, Nicole, and then that evolves and then I create the roughs. And at the same time I'm creating the thumbnails, I'm developing character sketches. So we get consistency in our characters throughout the story. Um, and there were a lot of characters in this book. So um, that takes quite a while mm -hmm. to, really, to really find those, those characters and they evolved over time. Um, and, and their personalities grew over time. And that was one of the fun things to get to actually work with Nicole on. Um, the moose, I feel like, started out as kind of this generic moose. And he evolved into this guy like Roasty Marshmallows, with books in his antlers. And <laughs> Spirit Bear evolved quite a lot, too. I mean, we were like, he was in tie-dye at one point, And then we were, like, we were raining it back in. And then it was really fun. Um, to develop all of the characters. So um, from that point, we're getting feedback from our art director and all of that, all of those roughs, which are the full scale, full size drawings. Some illustrators work larger than the book. Mm -hmm. I typically work at that size mm -hmm. um, because I feel like I have a better feel of what's going to look like in the printed form. And then at that point, I scan in all of my hand-drawn illustrations and then I start building the collage in Photoshop and um so so is there any color uh prior to that or it's all just black and white sort of getting to know the characters and it's all black and white yeah. the, well all of the drawings are black and white um there are some color studies mm -hmm. um and there are some uh um we, we were working on a color palette both for the book and the overall brand. So we were thinking about the book as well as the products that go along with the book. So that was kind of a whole different level. Um, some illustrators, um, particularly people who paint will go through color studies for the entire book. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of feel like that happens as I'm going because I, so when I build the art in Photoshop, I use a lasso tool so it feels more like it's cut out um, mm -hmm. instead of like a brush tool. Mm. And then um, that's just like a flat color. And then I use a clipping mask to apply my textures into those shapes. Um, and so my, I have like a kind of a color study to begin with, right? Because of those flat colors. And then things evolve when I start putting the textures in. Um, and then adding details and shadows. And um, I, I try to mimic the look of a handmade collage. Um, right. Although you can lose some of that digitally. And so I'm always trying to kind of loosen up the way I create the shapes. I'll even like use my other hand to try to, to uh -huh. try to make it more messy. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so is it collage at all like anymore because it's digital because it sounds like you're adding shadow and other things. And are you starting with paper scanning any paper in, or is there anything that's paper yeah. anymore? Yes. So I have, um, I have a giant collection of papers. And mm -hmm. so I have a digital library of these papers. And so for each project, um, you know, what I need varies. So I have different 
you know, categories of what the papers are used for. So everything collaged into it is either a paper or um, sometimes photographs, but rarely of like a texture um, or like a handmade, like I'll paint or use the mixed media to create some kind of texture that I want. And then I'll scan it in and apply that. So I do still feel like it's very much a collage. Most mm -hmm. of the, and most things are fairly flat. The shadows um, are just to define the objects right. that build yeah. dimension in the characters. And so um, I used to, when I built everything by hand, I would actually put chipboard underneath elements mm -hmm. in the art to create those shadows. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I do still try to, to mimic that look as much as possible. And, and it has evolved over time. So for Reed Island, um, we really kind of from the start, we're like, oh, we have to put books and stories into this book, mm -hmm. a book about books. And so um, that was really fun. We were both like finding old books and bringing them in and then scanning in um, elements of stories. And then um, we ended up using 20 classic children's stories in the art. So you can find those as you go through. They're in the sale or the trees or. Right. And that's a really unique aspect that I, that caught my eye when I saw the book for the first time. So you're saying that the actual text, bits of text from these books are Correct. incorporated into the imagery. So you can read a little bit. I think I saw Alice in Wonderland. Um Yes. You said, and 20 other books. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Peter Pan yeah. and Anna Green Gables. Uh, uh -huh. um, yeah, it was just really fun to like, and, and somebody has asked uh, if the text uh, coincides with what's happening on the page. And in some of them, they are like in the sailboats, I was pulling from poems about um, sailing actually. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um and some of them, they aren't because there's just a huge amount of text um, overlaid right. and worked into some of them. Right. Uh, I'm curious also because Nicole mentioned agents. Do you work with an agents or an agent for your other work? Or I have an agent um, outside of the children's book world. Mm -hmm. um, so he would handle anything uh, that would come along like editorial work, which I still do. Um, some of, usually it's um, travel or food type of illustrations right. for magazines, um, which I love to do. Um, mm -hmm. And it's fun to jump around because that type of project is a very small window with a tight turnaround. Um, and then a picture book, typically you would spend six months to a year making the art for a picture book. So um, it's a part of your life for a much longer yeah. time. Um, right. And you also mentioned the 32 pages. Are you saying that all picture books are that size? They um, can't the all majority be. of picture books are that size. Okay. Uh -huh. um, some books will jump up to 40, 42, 41 mm -hmm. pages. Um, and, you know, if you're a very established illustrator or author, and you've worked with the publisher and they know the book will sell very well, you know, they'll say, okay, if the author comes to them with, right. All right. But um, there's kind of a catch because they want your, lots of editors want the, the story to be under 500 words. Um, and when you're adding that many more pages, uh, you know, it's a challenge. Yeah. So, um, so typically you would see a 32 page picture book. And is it is there a standard size? Like what size is Reed Island? Is it? There's not really a standard. Okay. I mean, it, it can jump, right? It depends on what the story needs. Mm -hmm. Some books need to be horizontal and have these very long um, spreads to right. show landscape. Or, um, and then some books need to be vertical. And Reed Island ended up being in a square format. Mm -hmm. um, which worked really well. So it really depends on the story, to be honest. Right. And, and that was kind of an interesting part of the process for um, me as the publisher to study the books that I felt like worked the way I hoped this manuscript that I had would work, right? So 
um, studying books and formats, not just for page length, but for trim size, for Mm -hmm. um, jacket and case quality, Um, you know, really how they worked is how we ended up um, landing on that final trim size, which is a 10 by 10 square. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that has to come, those decisions have to come before the artist really starts in on um, the work. I mean, and and that feels sometimes like cart before the horse, but um, it's kind of how it fits into the market. Um, and right. I was really fortunate to have that experience of, you know, working with so many thousands and thousands and thousands of books all the time to see um, where I felt that it fit in and where um, booksellers and, and where readers would want to find it on, on the shelf. Right. Lori, we could talk about a lot of different things. That's so interesting (laughs) where, where it is on the shelf. Is it based on size or is it Uh, by author format? Yeah. Yeah, So um, in, in bookstores, at least, you know, board books are with board books jacketed hardcovers are together paperbacks are often together as opposed to intermixed um, because the paperback picture book will just lo- get lost among the hardcovers um, non-fiction versus fiction um, sometimes in a lot li- you know obviously in a library by subject so you're taking all those things into consideration when you're looking at creating a pro- product for um, you know mass distribution right and I often, when I work with authors, and, and certainly when I was doing this in the bookstore, but even now I advise authors on the, proce- the publishing process, mm-hmm. that comparative title analysis is really important. Understanding where someone is most likely to find your book in the bookstore and what the other books in that category that are successful look like um, helps you to really kind of make sure that the target reader matches the target format because when those two things don't line up it can be a disaster for a book right wow that's so interesting and i yeah i hear you on like the cart before the horse a lot of these things really do have to be decided way ahead of time um, just for the production side of things and and it's good to be thinking ahead of what you just said so that your book is successful. Wow. Okay. So I want to hear about, um, well, how was the text added to the page? Like whose responsibility is that the layout of the text on the page? And then we're going to turn over to the book is alive and out goes out into the world, publicity, marketing and stuff. Well, Alice um, started, you know, to create space on the pages for Mm -hmm. the text. And then eventually Sasha would place it in a final position. And that's like, you know, we we selected the font and the the weight and all those things. But, um, you know, Alice can talk about really making sure there's plenty of space on each page. Yeah. When you're creating an illustration, it's kind of like... um, solving a puzzle a little Mm -hmm. bit, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of this fun challenge that you have to think about text, whether it's, whether it's for a picture book or a a piece for a magazine or um, even like the graphics on the side of a bus, right? There's, there's going to be text involved typically because they're marketing or promoting something. So, um, so you go into the picture book illustrations thinking about that space and thinking about white space in general. Um, so I, desi- I designed the illustrations so that there would be space, but it was really nice to work with Sasha because um, she would come in and say, okay, well this works, but then if we moved this line to this spot, then that's gonna help push the reader's eye through the story. So um, there were things that I did not think about that she kind of mm-hmm. developed further, mm-hmm. um, which is always nice to have that. Um, and it really depends on the book too. The first book I did with uh, Kids Can Press was a nonfiction book. And um, they sent me photographs of the children that were gonna be in the book. They sent me the layout of the book before I made the illustrations, they had already placed the text. 
mm. before I drew anything. Mm. So um, it depends on the book, right? right. And, and when you're working with a, a traditional publisher, they might have you know, an idea for how that's gonna be, or they might direct it. It depends on the art director. They might, one might direct it much more than another one. Um, and then when I did the collectors, I was obviously making, writing the story and then designing the illustrations to work with that text, so. And did you self-publish the collectors or? No, the, the collectors was published um, by Kids Can Press. Okay, right. And it came out in, in May. Mm-hmm. And did you pitch the book to them or did you already have a relationship? Did it just kind of come around or? So I had an editor at Kids Can mm-hmm. and um, from the previous book. And uh, she kept saying, she would see a piece of art and she would say, um, oh, there's a story with this. Send me a manuscript. Oh, okay. And I would say, I'm an illustrator. Uh-huh. <laughs> this makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> uh-huh. So um, I had multiple editors do that actually at conferences and, and she would do that. And um, it kind of just put this bug yeah. in my ear. And yeah. then finally, I just is like, said, I, I have to try to write something. I have to figure out how to do this. So it was very much learning an entirely new skill mm-hmm. uh, for mm-hmm. me. But um, I did, I worked on that for quite a while and then sent that off to her. Um, and it's a very long process. So yeah. um, I sent it to her not long after my first son was born. Mm-hmm. And then it was months and months and months before I heard back and then we worked on it and then we worked on it a little bit more and then she pitched it to the publisher and uh, then they green lighted it and then it's a year of art and then another year of production and marketing. So it's quite a long process. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's a nice segue back to Reed Island and how, Nicole, just briefly how you decided to self-publish that or why instead of trying to uh, find a publisher. And then, um, yeah, sort of how how the manufacturing and distribution and yeah, we've mentioned their products. So, so how did you come up with that whole concept? Right. Well, um, Long story short is I'm an entrepreneur at heart Mm -hmm. and I felt like we had something to go on. And I really, in my next uh, phase of my career, I really wanted to learn some of these parts of the publishing industry, which were adjacent, adjacent to the bookstore. Um, And so I said, why wait? Let's, let's do it. Let's figure it out. Um, using the same methods that a traditional publisher would use, but um, coming at it from a different angle. And, and so, so yeah, I just was like, why can't we do this? Let's try it. And I used um, the various, you know, tools that I knew existed to make sure that the book would be in front of a large audience um, in the distribution and supply chains. And, um, you know, because I had worked and seen publishers do it for so long. And um, so I just felt like we could try it and we would learn a lot. And we certainly did. Um, One of the things that I knew was that books take a long time to get to market. And Alice certainly has mentioned that. Um, This project for me, I mean, the, the book in the first year, the book actually came last um, in the quote unquote product line, um, we had a set of eight greeting cards, some socks, a puzzle, um, masks to kind of get the idea going mm-hmm. and start to create the conversation with independent booksellers, primarily who I knew in the network and also for those from around the country who might have kind of a nice touch point with the themes of the line. And then we added more greeting cards and gift wrap and things like that kind of in the, in the summer season and then leading up to fall with the book release. Um, and so we were able to create customers through those interactions and build new customer relationships so that when the book came out in the fall, um, there was quite, you know, a lot already going on with the publishing company. Um, 
And it, it seems to have worked, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of times the first, your first try doesn't work very well. And right. going out and talking to booksellers and, and book buyers, and by working with some of these folks in the supply chain, we were able, I was able to change and tweak things and put them in a certain direction before the book came. And that really, I think helped. I mean, every, whenever you're an entrepreneur, you get used to failing a lot mm-hmm. and it's, it's the, pick it up and revision or rethink or recharge. That's the part of the process that I love. So learning from those mistakes, learning what can go better, tweaking, adjusting, editing, those things are all what I love. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. It's like a challenge, right? It's Mm -hmm. not like just throw it out the door. It's like, Oh, how can I, how can I make it work? That didn't work what will work. I love that entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. Cool. So how many books did you print? Uh, 5,000. Okay. And we have about, we've sold, you know, well over half of those. Um, And now we are into the phase of reaching new uh, retailers around Mm -hmm. the country. So, um, you know, as we think about future projects and future product development um, and things like that, we're kind of trying to lay the groundwork so that it's sustainable for um, the long term, and so that I can continue to focus on the creative piece that I love. And um, you know, it's it's been really fun, but it's definitely we're thinking ahead, um, yeah, and trying to predict you know what will work in the future. Right. And um, talk a little bit about the distribution. Do you, who, who handles that? And yes. you, you mentioned bookstores. Those are your primary customers, I'm guessing. But you yeah. have an online shop too, right? That's right. So we have about 100 independent bookstores around the country that currently carry the book, um, as well as all of the national retailers available through their websites, um, you know, online booksellers and mass you know, big box retailers. Um, and that has been great, but we also are, um, in Canada, we have a distribution company and partnership with, um, publishers group Canada and rain coast books, and they are handling that sales and distribution up there. And then, um, just recently we moved over to a regional sales group for the West, um, that will start to branch out into gift stores, specialty stores, more independent bookstores, um, and to really kind of help tell the whole story of Reed Island with the book at the centerpiece, but also, like I mentioned, the greeting cards, socks, puzzles, all those kinds of things. Yeah. And what is the website? If people want to go check out this book, everybody, you should check it out. It's a lovely book and the other fun products as well. Yeah, so the website is myreadisland.com. Okay. And there you can see all of the products. And we just listed some new ones, which will be coming out in the spring. Um, And yeah, you can read more about us too and our journeys, which is fun. Yeah. And so I just want to hear briefly what, yeah, if anything, what what's coming up for both of you in the in the near future? Alice, why don't you tell me what you're working on? Um, I have a piece coming out with Ranger Rick magazine pretty soon. So some Mm. editorial stuff going on. And then I have a new story out with my editor at Kids Can. So we'll see if that all evolves. Mm. Um, Yeah. And just working on some new art. I, um, over the past year, I haven't had much time to do much drawing outside of those two books. So um, really exciting to just kind of explore new techniques and, uh, and watch, watch it evolve. Mm-hmm. Yay. And how about you, Nicole, you mentioned new products, any? Uh, yeah, I'm working projects? on a new manuscript right mm-hmm. now um, mm-hmm. for the, another um, picture book. And so hopefully that will come together. And then also, um, you know, we are doing some school events and library events and things like that in 2022. We'll have some new products coming out in the spring and the fall. 
And um, yeah, like I said, just working hard on that next manuscript so that hopefully it'll be ready to share um, and, and start down this uh, same process we've talked about. Yeah. Awesome. So um, yeah, you mentioned the, the events and I think at some of your events, you incorporate uh, uh, hands-on activities. Is that right, Alice? So yeah. Paper? It, um, so fun. We've done quite a few story times and school mm-hmm. visits. Um, and we've been fortunate to be able to do that during these unusual times. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kids are just so fun to be around. It's so fun to see their response to the stories. And we kind of share about how we make the book. Um, but then I also do drawing demos and they draw along with me. Um, and if it's more of an illustration workshop, we can get more into the process of actually building a book. Um, but it's, it's really fun to watch them figure out that they can draw a character. That they, can, right. they can set their page up so it's going to work for a spread in a book, things like that. So um, it's been a real pleasure to get to do that over the past few months. Yeah. And Nicole, how about any, uh, does any like interaction with a child pop into your mind through one of these story times? It's been really fun to see the kids interact with the book. And I think we've become, you know, Alice and I are both moms, but we've become better public readers and describers of our book. Um, the, the best probably, or the biggest thing that ha- that sticks out for me is the very first event that we that I did the very first question that a kid asked oh. was how many books are in the book and oh. I was like oh that's easy 20 classic children's oh. stories and in fact no that's not what he meant he meant how many books are illustrated within oh. the book and I had no idea <laughs> and neither as it turned out to Alice so we she sent me a message and I said, I have absolutely no. <laughs> so, so that could be a contest now every time, like how, right. many, how many are there? Did you count them? Yes. There are 849. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> I counted them on an airplane. I didn't have <laughs> Wi-Fi, and I had the, the copy of the book and I was like, well, I'll just count them. I had to keep a tally <laughs> by spread of how many right. there were. And then you have to add in the end pages and the case and the jacket and right. a lot. Oh, that's so fun. That's so fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and let's get to your recommendations, Alice. Um, tell me a couple of, uh, well, tell me about, I looked at the illustrators you wanted to recommend and um, fascinated with paper animation. So one of them does uh, paper animation, I think. Um, Craig Frazier, is that the one you were? Yeah. 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 His work, um, he has ventured into the picture book world. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of his work you would see more in advertising and, um, editorial and product. Um, and, and I noticed, I've seen that on his website. It feels like that's slowly growing, Uh um, something he has evolved into. And like I mentioned before, he, he did build the work by hand with paper, um, at the beginning. Um, and it's very simple. It's flat and graphic. There's no texture to it actually. Right. It's, Mm -hmm. um, very much based around the human form and playing with the way that that interacts with other things in the world and telling a story that way. Um, so I just always, always loved his work. Um, and then, like I mentioned, the illustrated voice is a great book about him and his work. Right, right. And we'll put these links in the show notes. Um, yeah, paper illustrations seems to be a really growing. Uh, the cover of my new book, um, the publisher hired Owen Gildersleeve to mm-hmm. do the paper illustration. He's out of the, the UK. And then just yesterday, I was I got an ad from or an email from the Graduate Hotel because I've stayed there, you know, and it's a chain. I I was going to delete it, but I'm actually going to a conference and the graduate is the hotel. So I thought, let me look, because it was a discount thing. And I moved it from my junk 
So my junk, I can't see images email box into my real inbox. And it was an amazing folded piece of notebook paper that became a bed and then the sheets and the covers. And so it's so fun to see paper really showing up in so many places. And and there are so many different ways to use it. I mean, yeah. there are so many distinct styles. You look right. at something like Eric Carle, which is so different from Christian Robinson, who is a contemporary illustrator who's just making beautiful books. Um, and he's doing more of this mixed media stuff. But there's very much a cut paper handmade element. Yeah. His work. Yeah. yeah. So many ways to make beautiful art out of That's paper. That's right. Right. Um, okay. And Nicole, you had, uh, uh, tell me your favorite book that you wanted to recommend. Oh yeah. I mean, I love children's picture books. Um, and I think my favorite right now is a new book by Cynthia Ryland and, um, Brendan Wetzel called Wenzel called life. Um, and you know, it's about a lot of things, but I think one thing that it's about is nature and resilience in nature and how we can relate as um, humans to that. And um, it's one of these longer picture books um, that goes, you know, into the forties. It's a vertical format. And um, I just love how those, you know, kind of some of those heavier themes are getting tackled by picture book Mm -hmm. authors and sort of helping to prepare kids for, you know, bigger emotional um, things and really kind of nodding to mental health for uh, kids of all ages and um, bringing nature into that and the the calm and peace that it can provide to us and the way we interplay. So it's probably one of my favorites right now. And Silas, my son read it and he loved it too. It really surprised him. He reads a lot of children's picture books with me when I'm studying them and Uh he, he really liked it too. So cool. Well, um, thank you both for coming on the show. And I just wanted to mention uh, the website again, myreadisland.com. And then Alice has her own website, alicefagan.com. And Fagan is spelled like Reagan, F-E-A-G-A-N. <laughs> yeah. And then um, both are on Instagram as well, but I'll put those links in the show notes. So it's been really fun talking to you both. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks for having us, Helen. What a pleasure. It was great to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hey, paper friends. Did you know that I write a weekly blog called The Sunday Paper featuring stories of people doing exciting, innovative, and beautiful things with paper? Sign up at HelenHebertStudio.com slash blog. I'm also creating a lot of content over here. And the best way to stay up to date is to join my newsletter list to learn about free tutorials, online classes, workshops, and the annual Redcliffe Paper Retreat, which takes place right here at Helen Hebert Studio. You can find out more at HelenHebertStudio.com. This wraps up our episode, and if you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate it if you could leave a review over on iTunes. This helps others find out about the podcast. Special thanks to Gary A. Hansen for the sound editing and Peter Thomas for the music. Visit HelenHebertStudio.com and click on podcast where you can find out more about these guys, subscribe to this series via iTunes, and listen to other episodes and access all of the archived shows. Talk to you soon. Besides the